Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. Join us as we get to know some of the people, places, and experiences that make the Golden State such a unique destination. Today, elite rock climber Kevin Jorgensen shares some tips for getting started in the sport. And along the way, he'll also offer insights on one of his favorite climbing destinations, Yosemite National Park. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. You know, I think it's as simple as that. When you're in Yosemite, everywhere you look is just stunning. It's one of the coolest places in the world to spend time. And InStyle Magazine's special projects director Ruthie Friedlander reveals some of her top fashion brands and boutiques in Los Angeles. Everything from the dressing room to walking through each room of the store is just so immersive. Um, It almost feels like you're in like a shoppable fashion museum. Plus, we'll talk with author Anne-Marie Brown, who shares her top five list of California campgrounds. Whether you prefer pitching your tent on a beach, in the desert, or high up on a mountain, Anne-Marie has a great recommendation for you. It's all coming up on California Now. Elite climber Kevin Jorgensen made history in 2015 when he and Tommy Caldwell became the first men to free climb the 3,000-foot Dawn Wall, an imposing rock face on El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. The pair spent 19 days making their ascent, and the world watched transfixed as the duo worked their way to the top. Well, we won't be engaging in any death-defying feats on today's show, but we are thrilled to have Kevin Jorgensen here to talk about some of his favorite places to climb in the Golden State. Welcome to the California Now podcast, Kevin. Thanks for having me. You know, it seems like only yesterday that we were all watching you and Tommy make history, but it was actually three and a half years ago. Does it seem possible that so much time has passed? In some ways, yes and and no. You know, some of the parts of that memory feel like yesterday and others feel like a decade ago. Well, you know, between your feet and Alex Honnold's uh, free solo ascent of El Cap, rock climbing seems to be in the spotlight these days. Do you, do you sense a spike in popularity? I think it's been a slow build, but it's it's coming into its own, you know? It's having, I wouldn't say that it's having a moment. I think that it's been this, yeah, this slow build over time and it's just kind of crossing that line into the mainstream more and more often. What do you love most about the sport? Oh, man, it's it's hard to narrow down one thing. Uh, climbing for me is like food, you know? I got to have it on a regular <laughs> basis. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about it, that though, that makes you need it like that? It's, it's just primal. It's the most natural thing for me to do. When I'm climbing, it it feels like what I'm, what I'm meant to do. It takes you amazing places. It gives you perspectives on the world that you would never otherwise have. And I think it helps you really appreciate the outdoors and the environment. We we recently spoke with Johnny Mosley. You joined him Mm -hmm. on a rock face for an episode of Johnny Mosley's Wildest Dreams. Um, He didn't seem to share your love of rock climbing. He was uh, actually kind of petrified. (laughs) It's not for everyone, that's for sure. I love introducing the sport to to people who haven't tried it before. And for some people, it's the most natural thing ever. And for others, it's, yeah, a little bit scary. Um, Johnny, luckily, he's up for anything. That's the great thing about his show is, you know, he gets himself out of his comfort zone and tries new things. And you know, he may he may say that he was petrified, but he, he did great. He really did. No, he did. He took to it pretty well. Yeah, he did. And 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 you and Johnny did kind of take it to an extreme. But 
let's say I'm a complete novice, which I am, and I want to go on my first rock climbing outing in California. Where would I start? Where should I go? I would say that the Lake Tahoe region probably has some of the most friendly climbing areas to learn. Oh, man. There's one area in particular called Lover's Leap off of Highway 50, which is really great. It's about a three-pitch or three, 400-foot wall, but it's super highly featured granite. So there's just lots to hang on to. It's low angle. It's just really inviting, you know? And then there are lots of areas right around uh, Donner Summit as well that are super friendly to learn. The rock is also very featured there. And it's much different than the glacier-polished granite of Yosemite that's much, much harder to climb. So it's in a beautiful place, and it's, uh, the rock is such that it's great for novices. Okay, what about an area um, not, in Lake, not in the Lake Tahoe area that's also good for novices? Hmm... Well, you would, could also go down to Joshua Tree in Southern California. If you're down in that area, um, Joshua Tree, is, it's like being on the moon. The landscape there is super unique. And the rock is also quite textured and featured as well. Uh, there's a lot of low-angle uh, formations that lend themselves to new climbers. And they're a bit shorter also, which is nice. So they're a little bit less intimidating than some other climbing areas in the state. And also uh, another place where you have got beautiful landscape. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, if, I, if, if I'm starting out, do, is it the kind of thing where I sh- – do you think I should buy my own gear for my first rock climbing adventure or will the outfitter take care of all that? It totally depends if you're going with a friend or if you're going with a guiding service, you know. I think there are probably options in both. You know, we just talked about Joshua Tree and Lake Tahoe. There are guide services for both. Um, if you're looking for a one-day adventure, you probably don't need to get your own stuff. But if you want to get into the sport, I think it's great to have your own equipment. Um, there's also climbing gyms all across the state that are a great way to try out the sport in a really controlled, comfortable environment with great instructors and all the gear you need and things like that. And then you can translate it to an outdoor experience after that. That's also a really popular way to get into it. Oh, absolutely. That sounds like a great idea, actually. Also, uh, in a controlled environment, I mean, I would feel a lot safer as a, as a total beginner, absolutely. Uh, what's, what's, <laughs> what's another good location for beginners? Um, I think those are the two best ones. Uh, but the thing is, you can find easy climbing in most areas. So whether you're in Yosemite or you're in, let's say you're at the Lost Rocks on the north coast where the Klamath River hits the Pacific Ocean or you're in the Buttermilks in Bishop on the eastern Sierra – there's the great thing about climbing is that success is self-defined. If you want to try something hard, you can try something hard. And if you want to try something easy, you just go find something easy. And most areas have climbs of every grade, which is what makes the sport so fun. You can climb side by side with folks of all different types of abilities. Hmm. Uh, so it's super inviting in that way. And it creates a sense of community and culture. And it's just a highly social sport. What is it about Yosemite and rock climbing that seems like such a perfect fit? Yeah, I mean, I think you you put the nail on the head. Yosemite is climbing's mecca. People travel from all over the world to climb in Yosemite. It's a bucket list area. And it has some of the most challenging climbs in the world there. And challenging for every ability as well, which is great. That's what's great about climbing is that 
a beginning climber can be trying as hard as they can, and they're having the same physical and emotional experience as someone who's elite that's trying as hard as they can. Just the grade of the climb itself is what's different, but the human experience of trying hard is totally the same. You know, that's what's so special about the sport. And Yosemite provides a great canvas for climbers of every ability to have objectives that will push them. Um, you know, the, the walls in Yosemite have been intimidating and inspiring climbers for generations. And I think that's what brings people to it. There's a long history there. People want to walk in the footsteps of the legends that came prior and kind of maybe even try to make their own mark. So I guess one of the reasons that climbers of all abilities, but even you know, especially elite climbers, really make a point to spend a lot of time in Yosemite. What makes Yosemite so so special? Man, I mean, all it takes is looking at a picture of Yosemite to appreciate what makes it special. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. You know, <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. When you're in Yosemite, everywhere you look is just stunning. It's one of the coolest places in the world to spend time. Um, I think that's what draws, you know, what is it, like 4 million tourists a year to Yosemite National Park. It's mm. one of the busiest national parks in the country. Uh, you don't have to be a climber to appreciate just how stunningly beautiful it is to be there. And then if you're a climber in Yosemite, you get to see these views that very few people in the world get to see. You know, you get to see uh, a view of Half Dome that only climbers get to see instead of the one from the road or from Glacier Point that all the tourists get to see, you know? So it's it's cool in that way. You get to experience the landscape in a pretty special way when you have the ability to go up. Are you constantly on the lookout for a great new climb? Yeah, I would say that I'm relentlessly curious. You know, when I look up at the walls in Yosemite, I'm always looking between the lines of things that have already been done and wondering what's possible. So right now I've, I've been spending a lot of time on a formation that doesn't get climbed very often, uh, especially via the line that I'm trying. It's called Higher Cathedral Spire, and it's on the opposite side of Yosemite Valley from El Capitan. So you have this great view of El Cap while you're climbing, but you also have a great view of a formation called Higher Cathedral Rock. And you know, I'm working on one project while looking across at Higher Cathedral Rock, you know, imagining a, a brand new line that might weave this way through some blank but golden cracks um, mm. across across the valley from me. So, yeah, I, I mean, wherever I go, I'm always just like looking up and wondering what's possible and, and searching for the next thing. What what was your, your, your last amazing climb in California? Put, put us on the wall with, with you and describe what you saw. Oh, man. Well, I would say it's it's on this higher cathedral spire formation in Yosemite. And the experience of topping out, you know, of get, getting to the summit is always a super rewarding and satisfying experience. And when we got to the top, you kind of are, you happen to um, like squeeze your way through this wide crack. Like imagine it's slightly claustrophobic. You're you're, you're fully inside the, the rock and you're just like squirming your way up and you pop out the top and it's like standing on a table. It's just totally flat and you're looking across at the evening light on El Cap and you're looking across at uh, Yosemite Falls and down at the valley floor and you're 2,000 feet up and it's just, you know, 
the wind is blowing and the, the sun is setting and there's just a, you know, your hands hurt, your feet hurt, but there's a <laughs> sense of satisfaction and joy to all of that. Well, that really sounds amazing. I, I'm not sure you're ever going to get me up there, but I'm willing to bet you inspired a whole bunch of our listeners just now. Thank you so much, Kevin. That was really, really <laughs> great to hear. Thanks so much. Kevin Jorgensen is an elite climber who made history in 2015 when he and Tommy Caldwell became the first to free climb the Dawn Wall in Yosemite. You can see a great video about that magical climb on Dream 365 TV. And you should keep an eye out for the next episode of Johnny Mosley's Wildest Dream, which features Kevin in a starring role. For links to all of that and more, go to visitcalifornia.com slash podcasts. listening to the California Now podcast. I'm Satirius Johnson. Author Anne-Marie Brown knows a thing or two about spending time in the great outdoors. She's the author of 13 guidebooks that celebrate California recreation, ranging from biking trails in the Bay Area to hiking trails in and around Los Angeles. Of course, after a long day exploring Mother Nature, you might need a place to stay. And in today's lightning round, Anne-Marie is going to share her top five California campgrounds. Welcome back to the podcast, Anne-Marie. Hey, thanks for having me. So I have a confession to make. Um, if I if I have a choice between spending the night in a luxury resort or in a campground, even an epic campground, I, I'm pretty much going to be choosing the resort every single time. So from your point of view, what's the primary <laughs> appeal of camping under the stars? Yeah, I, I you know, it's funny. I hear this a lot. And uh, yeah, camping is it's, it's harder work than staying in a luxury resort. There's no question about that. It can be a little bit dirty and... I mean, I didn't grow up camping. My parents didn't camp. Um, so it, it took me a while to kind of work my way into it. But I think there are a lot of appeals. And, and the first one, the most obvious one, is that it's just beautiful. I mean, how often do you see the Milky Way when you stay in a hotel, right? Never. You just you don't look outside at night. So it's about scenery. It's about seeing the stars at night. It's about seeing maybe the sunset or the sunrise. You just don't get that when you're indoors. That's number one. But also, I think there's a lot of other great things about it that maybe we don't realize so much, but I think it appeals to our pioneer spirit. You know, we're Americans, so we're all about pioneering. Hmm. And it takes us out of our reliance on all the things we have at home. And I think there's something super satisfying when we succeed at it. Like, think about the difference between, you know, barbecuing a chicken outside or microwaving a chicken inside, right? right. It's like it's like that. You're barbecuing the chicken, right? Well, this is a big one, I think, in our day and age, is this idea of sort of forced inactivity. Because um, once you've put up your tent and you've made dinner, there's really nothing to do except sit around and talk to each other, right? Mm. And I always recommend that people stay at campgrounds where they do not have a cell signal so that they have to talk to each other. They can't be <laughs> checking their emails um, and texting their friends, right? So it's about a way to connect with each other maybe in different ways than we do at home. And even if you're camping alone, I mean, it's a chance to read a book, right? How fantastic is that? Okay, Anne-Marie, I mean, that that sounds all great. But what about indoor plumbing and, you know, Egyptian cotton sheets? <laughs> yeah, I understand the way you feel. I always think if I could just find some way to get room service at my tent, then camping would be perfect. <laughs> well, you know, today's segment, you know, room service or not, is a top five list. And we'd like to work our way down your absolute favorite campground in California. So let's put a stake in the ground right now. What's number five? All right. First of all, let me just say that that's a really hard question. You know, we're talking California and we're talking campgrounds and there are thousands of them. So that's like saying, you know, what's your favorite dessert? It's really hard to pick. But 
I'm going to say because it's California, I want to I want a beach campground cuz um not everybody can afford to live at the beach, but we all love to go to the ocean and one of my favorite places to spend the night listening letting the waves lull me to sleep is at Halama Beach County Park, which is north of Santa Barbara, um near the town of Lompoc. And uh it's a great campground. It's run by the County of Santa Barbara. You can park your tent or your RV right by the sand. Um, you can go to the little store they have there and get the world-famous Halama burger after you've been out surfing or exploring the beach all day. It tastes really good. Um, it's a long drive to get there. It's about 19 winding miles from Lompoc to drive out to that beach. So you want to stock your car really well with all your groceries and what have you and stay out there for a few days. Just enjoy being right next to the beautiful windswept Pacific mm. and, and don't leave, right, as long as you can. Um, they also have cabins now, too. So for somebody like you who likes your Egyptian cotton sheets, you could bring them right. <laughs> and uh, rent one of their cabins and then you got your own sheets and you're good to go. Right. So they just – they put in, a, I think, seven – cabins up on the hill there too so you don't even have to have a tent you can you can go enjoy that beautiful beach park um and and not really be camping if you don't want to although i'm gonna bring my tent wow that sounds really nice all right let's keep going number four okay number four another another beachy one a little farther north um patrick's point state park up in trinidad north of eureka uh, it's a state park. So right away, as soon as you hear state park, you know we're talking about some really gorgeous scenery. Uh, but the campsites there are very roomy. There's a lot of space between you and your neighbors, and there's so much to do in that park. For one thing, you're right on the ocean again, and and Trinidad has these massive sea stacks right offshore. Um, and you can, of course, take photographs all day long. You can hike the rim trail along the coast, go up to an overlook called Wedding Rock, beautiful rocky overlook where you can see the crashing waves and hear the sea lions barking and seals barking. It's a great spot for whale watching. Um, I, to me, if I just want a really kind of north coast lonesome beach experience, mm. that's the place to go. And and really in any season, you can go winter or summer. And there's a fantastic beach there that everybody from the campground walks down to called Agate Beach. It's a great place to look for uh, semi-precious stones and colored pebbles. And they, too, they have these little cabins for rent. They're rustic. You have to bring your own sleeping bag and stuff, but they have them. And they have coin-operated showers. Good for people who, you know, want to stay clean. Huh. That sounds really great. And I love being out near the water, so I, I love the idea of that one. And I can't believe that that's uh, number four because that means that there are even better ones coming uh, up ahead. So let's move on to number three. <laughs> okay. Well, again, you know, seasons, I think, affect my mood a lot. So I have to I have to plan my camping by season. But if it's November through, say, March or April, I'm going to head to Joshua Tree National Park. And there are two campgrounds there. There's practically side by side. One's called Ryan and the other one's called White Tank. And they're both fantastic. So Joshua Tree, as you probably know, has these fantastic jumbled piles of rocks. Uh, they're Monza granite boulders, and they, they just look otherworldly. It looks like something out of, you know, Dr. Seuss. Um, and these campsites are tucked right inside the rocks. So each one is really private. It's like you have your own little rock cave to camp in. And from either of those campgrounds, you can hike to the summit of Riot Mountain. That's trailhead's really close by. This, the Ryan Mountain's the tallest mountain in Joshua Tree. It's about 5,500 feet tall, and it's easy hike to get up there. Um, but the real appeal of camping in Joshua Tree is the star show. Uh, the nighttime sky there, it's far enough from Los Angeles that there's no city lights obstructing the stars. And so the the nighttime celestial viewing is unbelievable. You just pick a boulder, sit on top. 
uh, lay on top and just stare up at the sky. And it's really something to see. I love that. That sounds really amazing. So what's number two? All right. Well, again, landscapes, hard to choose. I'm Some days I'm a beach girl. Some days I'm a desert girl. <laughs> a lot of days I'm a mountain girl. So <laughs> I'm going to give you my mountain pick. And um, here's, here's a good one. And it's in Sequoia National Park in the Mineral King section, which is a separate part of, of southern Sequoia National Park. It's kind of separate from some of the main visitor areas. The campground's called Cold Springs. Um, and it's first come, first serve, so you don't need reservations, which is nice. You can just drive out there. However, it's a really long drive to get there, so you have to plan ahead. From Visalia, it's about an hour and a half drive um, and a very narrow, winding road. You want to take your time on that road. But once you get out get out there, Mineral King, it's a glacial-cut valley. It's surrounded by 12,000-feet granite peaks. And the sites at Cold Springs are set right alongside the Kalea River. So you can you could practically fish from your tent if you wanted to. You can hike to your heart's content. Uh, Mineral King Valley has so many trails. A couple of my favorites go up to Eagle Lake or Monarch Lake, just beautiful alpine lakes at the 10,000-foot level. And, um, you know, if you, if you feel like, oh, gosh, I really need some civilization, there's a tiny resort just down the street from the campground called Silver City, and they make some great pie. So... You know, after a hike, piece of pie, can't get better than that. Oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, I, I'm thinking I may need to reconsider my position on, you know, resorts versus campgrounds. <laughs> and uh, and there's still one more to go. So, so Anne-Marie, what's your number one campground in California? Well, this is my goal, is to try to persuade you to become a camper. I feel like if I can get you over to my side, then I can probably persuade anybody, right? <laughs> right, I think um, so. So... <laughs> okay. Number one, you know, again, this is a this is very tough calls here, but I'm going to give it to Saddlebag Lake Campground. And here's why is that it's right outside of Yosemite National Park. And, you know, Yosemite is is one of California's many showpieces, but maybe the most spectacular of, of, of all the showpieces in, in, in the state. Right. Uh, the campground is at 10,000 feet. It's mm. actually the highest campground you can drive to in the state. You can you can backpack and hike to higher ones, but you can't drive to any that are higher than that. And it's just outside of the east entrance, the Tioga Pass entrance to Yosemite National Park. So that gives you the chance to explore Tuolumne Meadows. It gives you the chance to head in, down into the Yosemite Valley. You can stay outside of the park and hike into the spectacular 20 Lakes Basin. And, you know, basically you're just camped right there above treeline and all of that beautiful alpine scenery is right outside of the zipper of your tent. Wow, that sounds unreal. They all do, actually. I mean, thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Uh, you have definitely succeeded in adding more items to my California to-do list. <laughs> oh, yay, good. Anne-Marie Brown is the author of 13 travel guidebooks and hundreds of magazine articles about exploring the Golden State's outdoor wonderland. Her books are available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, REI, and your local bookstore. And you can find links to all of the locations we discussed today on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. You're listening to California Now. Today on the California Now podcast, we're going to do a little retail therapy. Ruthie Friedlander is special projects director for InStyle magazine and an oft-quoted expert on style and fashion. Going to talk to her about some of the cool only in California brands that have caught her eye, as well as some of the stores she frequents whenever she's in Los Angeles. Welcome, Ruthie. 
Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So let's talk about the intersection of travel and style for a second. I, I don't necessarily plan my vacations around the retail options in a given destination, but I, I imagine <laughs> there are plenty of people who actually do that. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of people that do that. And I think more to the point, it's really nice when you're going on vacation or even traveling for for work to really take something back with you that reminds you of the trip. So for some people, that can be a dress. For others, it's kind of, you know, the more classic, kitschy tourist gear. But for me, as I've kind of grown up and become more interested in fashion and learned more about it, I've really honed in on, you know, the local stores and new designers that are coming up in each of these places um, because it makes you feel – it brings back memories of, of that trip and where you were when you bought it. And I think that that emotional attachment is is really nice to have. Right. And I'm guessing it might be particularly true of people who live in smaller towns who maybe don't have a lot of you know retail options where they live. Absolutely. It really opens your eyes to not only the different designers out there, but also the different style. I mean, there's never been a time where personal style has been more embraced. And, you know, even when you're in L.A., when you go neighborhood to neighborhood, the personal style is so different. You know, how people dress in Venice Beach versus how people dress in Beverly Hills is so different. And it's really incredible to kind of to see that and and take that on. Yeah. And I know you do travel to Los Angeles frequently. Uh, How does it stack up as a a style-centric destination. Is there is there a serious fashion scene? There are some really amazing fashion things about L.A. Um, there are some great stores that are unique to L.A., some great designers that are from L.A. and still manufacture in L.A., and the denim scene, especially in L.A., is is pretty serious. All right. Well, let's let's take a tour around some of the brands that you like these days. Where, where do we start? All right. I want to start with this brand called Blue Salt. And Blue Salt is like If I were to create a line that epitomized what I think of as the L.A. woman, this brand would be it. So this is a brand that is straight out of Malibu, and it was really created as a way to be comfortable and look chic. So it's kind of this answer to, can I get away with wearing sweatpants? Can I get away with wearing whatever the hell I'm walking my dog in Uh on the beach? (laughs) For the rest of my day. So it's it's really all sweat clothes. But when you wear it properly, you know, they have this dress that's made out of a sweatshirt material that you could really get away with wearing it to a black tie event if you put it with the right jewelry. And the thing that I love about it is it, that's just so L.A. to me, like this concept that you could be wearing sweatpants to a black tie event. But, right. you know, just throw on your diamonds and you're fine. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I always thought sweatpants was like, you know, the message to the world that you've given up. But you're saying, no, now it's it's high fashion. That is what Carl Lagerfeld says, that sweatpants (laughs) are giving up. But I think think that the um, L.A. really takes this concept of comfort to the next level. And Blue Salt definitely is one of these brands that's really saying, like, yes, we we don't want you to look schlumpy and comfortable. And you can tell from their celebrity clientele, like Cindy Crawford, um, you know, who's a huge – they actually have a pant that's named after her called the Cindy Pant, which (laughs) is one of my favorite pairs of pants. And, you know, it's just like this very typical L.A. brand. It's easy luxury. Um, And the price point's also fantastic. That's so great. It sounds really comfortable and very fashionable as well. Okay, so uh, what they are some... Satiris, they also make menswear, so... You know, oh, well, I'll have to look into it, because um, I do like to wear sweats, so <laughs> usually not out in public there that often. There you go. There you go. So, uh, okay, what are what's another L.A. brand that you like? So there's this brand called Doen, 
Um, if you were to come to the InStyle offices, you would see that there's kind of this fever pitch obsession with this brand. Um, <laughs> it, of course, like all things, started with our very own editor-in-chief, Laura Brown, coming to work wearing one of their prairie dresses. And it's inspired by this sort of old-school California vibe. And the coolest thing about Doen is that it's a collective. So basically, they're finding LA-based women to make these incredibly comfortable, chic dresses. They're using domestic production as often as possible. And all of their production partners share in their commitment to support the women in the workplace that they're working in. So they're really dedicated to closing the gender gap. But they're also making just really, really incredible dresses. And the dresses are super boho, super chic, really comfortable, Um like these prairie dresses that we really can figure out how to wear to work and and wear out at night. So when you mean closing the the gender gap, what do you what do you mean? What exactly are they doing to do that? So so they're really finding women who otherwise would not be able to be creating clothes on their own um and and working to give them a place to sell their product and working for them to find sustainable products and um closing the gender gap in terms of the design process. So Doen is a is a collective. Is there a specific place you go to find their stuff, or are they all over the place? They on their website. So they oh, they don't have a brick and mortar store. They do not have neither of those two. Those two brands don't have brick and mortar. They're e commerce only. Oh, interesting. So anybody can get them. That's you can kind of uh, import a little bit of California fashion wherever you are. Exactly. But there are a bunch of LA stores that you physically have to go to that are worth. The flight. So let's talk about specific stores. Where do you like to go when you're in LA? I think one of really one of the best stores in the entire world is this store called Just One Eye. Um, it's a store with an actual physical location, which is always really cool. Um, there's something really New Yorky about the store because you kind of pull up to this hole in the wall brick storefront, and it doesn't look like there's a fancy store inside. But you walk in and you are in fashion heaven. <laughs> like out of the corner of one eye, you see a Damien Hirst painting. Then you turn your head to the left and you're looking at the latest product coat that you have no idea how they got so quickly, which by the way, they're typically the only store to have that specific coat in stock. The buy is actually better than any other multi-retailer in Los Angeles. And the experience of being there, like everything from the dressing room to walking through each room of the store is just so immersive. Um, it almost feels like you're in like a shoppable fashion museum. <laughs> it's very experiential. Wow. Um, and they have product that that you really saw on the runway that you can't find anywhere. So Just One Eye is definitely a place you have to check out. You do need to have quite a bit of, of money to leave it with a bag, but right. it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't charge you to go in though, right? So... <laughs> They don't charge you to go in. Oh, that's a good or thing. Or to take photos. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. It sounds pretty amazing. Um, how about another? Um, so if you're someone who loves beauty, uh, Violet Gray is definitely a store to check out. Now, I personally don't wear that much makeup, but when I go into this store, I want to be a beauty editor. I want to just like give fashion up, sell all my clothes, and just buy <laughs> makeup. Um, I want to spend thousands of dollars on skincare when I'm in there. <laughs> it's tucked away in this beautiful alleyway on Melrose right next to The Row, which is another amazing store, which is also in New York, but the one in LA is something to, to really take a look at. But everything in Violet Gray feels very curated and really special. Um, what's so interesting to me about Violet Gray is that you can find a lipstick in that store that, you know, just a few blocks away you could find at Sephora, 
But you want it more at Violet Gray. <laughs> like, you would pay more for it at Violet Gray just because of where it's sitting on the shelf and how right. beautiful it looks and the product that it's next to. So it's not necessarily that they have product that you can't find anywhere else, although they do carry some brands that are really hard to find in the United States. But their merchandising is so brilliant right. um, that it just makes you really want to buy. It makes you feel like you need this stuff right. in order to be – a cool woman in society. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I mean, part of the experience, like the service, I'm sure, is not the same oh, yeah. as at other stores and the ambiance. It kind of all adds up to making a really cool experience. And you, maybe you don't mind paying a little more for that that lipstick. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, people always talk about Abbott Kinney, this, this boulevard just off Venice Beach. Do you have any favorites mm-hmm. there? So I have to say my personal style doesn't really lend itself to the Abbott Kinney type of shopper. However, I was on Abbott Kinney a few months ago, and I I would have to say one of my biggest shopping regrets of my life was not buying a dress that (laughs) I found at this store called Heist. And I had never been to this store, and I don't know a lot about the store, but it's called Heist. They carry this brand called Pero, um, which is I don't actually know where the brand is based out of, but Heist is this – I mean, it's an unassuming storefront. You don't think you're going to find some of these brands on Abbott Kinney when you walk in, but their buy is impeccable. So if you're someone who likes this kind of boho chic look, um, you know, you, you'll you wear a dress over jeans. You'll wear a dress to a dinner party. Um, this is the store for you. I really – up by not buying that dress. Oh my gosh! Well, um, I, I want you to like. It's a, it's a big. It's a big regret. <laughs> I, I want you to do the work to get over that because I don't want you to go to your grave with that regret. I really want you to kind of like move on if you can. Yeah, you and my therapist. <laughs> we have time for one more piece of advice. What else do you want to convey okay. to, to listeners who who may be planning to to visit LA? Don't get caught up in just going to Fred Siegel or just going to Maxfield. Really try to find these little stores like Heist, like Just One Eye, because they really show you kind of like the true L.A. style. They're the stores that are carrying brands that you probably won't find in New York. um, And and they're the ones that you're really going to leave with something that makes you feel like, I'm leaving with a piece of L.A. I'm going to remember this trip rather than I could have just gotten this in New York. Great advice. Thanks so much, Ruthie. Thank you. Ruthie Friedlander is Special Projects Editor for InStyle Magazine, and you can find her often hilarious insights on fashion and style at InStyle.com. Better yet, you can find links to all the brands and boutiques she mentioned today at our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please subscribe. Kevin Jorgensen rose to fame when he and his climbing partner, Tommy Caldwell, became the first to free climb El Capitan's Dawn Wall in Yosemite National Park. If you want to relive that historic feat, you're in luck. Their 19-day ascent is chronicled in a dramatic video you can find at visitcalifornia.com slash dream365tv. Check it out. 